Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the second Sunday of Easter, April 11th, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have any questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the New Testament lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, can be found on page 1697 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need." Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is surprising how often we in the church misunderstand the roles and activities of the church in the New Testament. In fact, I could realistically and also uncharitably state with great confidence that the American church is addicted to getting the New Testament church wrong. All I'd ever need to do is to point out the sheer preponderance of church growth programs that have plagued the church since the 1980s. There aren't dozens, there aren't even hundreds but literally thousands and maybe ten thousands of authors and programs who are ready to unlock the secret of your church. Reminds me of a time, the first three years I was pastor here, when I was still answering the phone, because now it's completely pointless to answer phone calls to the church. Uh, There's one actual person on the line on a phone call for every 25 spam calls I get at church. Anyway, this person called, and a very enthusiastic young man said, I'd like to talk to the pastor. I said, that's me. He's like, what's your name, pastor? Well, my name's Jason. And he said, well, Pastor Jason, are you ready for me to take your church to the next level? And I stopped, and I waited and I probably decided how snarky I was going to be in my response. But I finally said, does any of this involve the forgiveness of sins? And he paused, and he kind of stuttered, and he's like, well, not really. And I said to him, then I'm not interested. And I hung up. And over and over and over again, I have been contacted in some way, shape, or form for someone who's ready to help us out here at Faith so that we will be bursting the walls of this church 
and we'll be looking for the next giant building to house our congregation, including all of the other dozens and hundreds of small congregations they're trying to do the exact same thing with. Now, I will say many of these programs are well-intentioned, but they all have the same thing in common. They all miss the forest for the trees. What do I mean by that? I think the New Testament lesson this morning from the book of Acts goes a long way to illustrating just how we in the church of today major in the minors when we think about the church of 2,000 years ago. We're really good at ignoring the big picture. And so we're going to focus on four verses from Acts chapter 4 this morning. Three of them give traps the church of today often falls into. All of these traps are good, but none of them are central. And one of the verses gives the truth that should be of central importance to the church, but also is the first thing that is swept under the rug. So here we go. Acts 4.32, the trap of unity. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Again, I'm going to reiterate at the beginning of each one of these traps that these traps are not bad in and of themselves. I am not preaching against unity. Put it in your notes if you're taking notes. I don't want this to come back to me, okay? But, even though there's not anything wrong with unity, it's not central to the church's mission or purpose. The problem is, when unity does become central to the church's purpose and ministry, the very first error the church commits is to punt on the clarity and power of the Word of God. Perhaps some of you are familiar with the relatively recent catchphrase in American Christianity, doctrine divides. You heard that at some point in time in the last 30 years? I imagine that you have. This is the source of exactly what I'm talking about here and the problem of making unity central to your church's purpose and mission. If unity becomes the focus over and above all other things, you're going to end up seeing doctrine as an unfortunate academic exercise. Why is this? Because in reality, and for 2,000 years of church history, people have been constantly arguing about doctrine. One of the things I've taught frequently is that the heretics write the doctrine of the church. I don't mean that they're the source of the doctrine. It means that whenever there's error in the church, it forces the church's hand to clarify what we believe from Scripture. And as we clarify, one group says this, and another group says, no, 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 this, and back and forth. And people get disgusted by that. Now, there's some truth we need to mine from this situation. Christians who are constantly bickering about minutiae in Scripture are neither helpful nor winsome to the world around us. We should never be using doctrine as an excuse to be jerks to one another. But the problem with focusing on unity over and above doctrine 
is that it puts the power of God's Word in question. Doctrine is nothing else than God's truth communicated to us in His Word. That's all doctrine is. If the Word of God teaches it, we confess it, and that's what makes doctrine doctrine. We should be ready as Christians in the church not only to articulate the truth from God in His Word, but to stand on it when necessary, unyielding. The reality is, doctrine does divide. But I think we're looking at it the wrong way. So I like to say it this way. Doctrine delineates. Gives us boundaries. It protects us. And if you're not willing to draw a boundary around the truth, unity eventually becomes the only truth that matters. Which would make the highest good one can practice as a Christian simply to get along. And getting along is fine and well and good, but if we're getting along in spite or because of error or, either, or even tolerating something that dilutes or misrepresents God, His Word, or His plan for salvation, we're going to end up doing more damage in our unity than good. So that's the first trap. The second trap, Acts 4.34, is the trap of community. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Now, I was tempted, due to our present day and age, to actually make this the trap of socialism, but I thought that would be politically unhelpful for so many different reasons. And the reason is, what's going on here in Acts at several points in the early church is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. You are as a homeowner or as a possessor of private property, never in Scripture commanded by God to give up everything you own. But it is a description of what one particular community in Scripture did in response to the gospel. And so the focus here isn't on socialism, as, as much of a convenient pinata as that might be for us all right now. The focus is on community. And again, there's nothing wrong with community. We should want and expect our churches to be inviting and welcoming. If they're not, something very serious has gone wrong in what we're doing and in why we're doing it. But what happens when community becomes the central truth in pursuit of the church? I would argue that there are two truths that immediately get lost. First, we ignore that the congregation is already the community that God has brought together. I've gotten into more spats with other Christians on this topic of creating community than perhaps any other contemporary topic in the church. The danger of making creating community central to what we do in the church is that it completely ignores the reality that God has created the community. That's what the local congregation is. Every one of you sitting here right now, whether you're a member 
whether you are a visitor, whatever the case, you are currently part of a community that already exists. We should want that community to be loving and welcoming and inviting. Absolutely. But if we ignore the current community at the expense of creating some sort of artificial construction of a community, we're going to spend all our time chasing, people, chasing after people who aren't here and who might not come at the expense of the people whom God has delivered to us and around us on a regular basis. The second truth we lose, similar to the trap of unity, is we lose the power of the Word of God. The problem with creating community in the world today also ends up being a problem with sin. For a person to feel welcome according to the standards of our modern age, a community must not only be welcoming, but also affirming and celebratory. What this has led to in many corners of Christendom is that the church has completely lost the doctrine of sin and repentance. In our desire to be welcoming, we have made inclusion and tolerance to be the virtues we pursue in concert with the culture around us. Again, it would be very easy right now for me to set up another piñata that we beat incessantly about the LGBT movement or anything else in modern culture. But the reality is, Christians are all fine and well with condemning sin today until it is a sin that impacts our own lifestyle or the lifestyle of someone we love. And that's what I'm talking about today. What sins right now in your life are you willing to look the other way so that you can be comfortable? Or so that you can be comfortable around someone else? Now, I'm not advocating that we all end up being soapbox preachers on the corner of some major intersection or in a park. But what I am saying is that when the community, when the togetherness ends up being the focal point, we end up creating a religion that looks like us instead of a religion that looks like the crucified and risen Savior. That's the problem with community. Final problem, or the final trap this morning, Acts 4.35, the trap of authority and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. This final trap in the church of today falls into, we fall into this trap as we try to emulate the church of the New Testament literally, as we try to make people into apostles. This has been a struggle for the church throughout the ages. This isn't unique. We didn't invent this one in, in the 2100s, in the 21st century. We see this happen for hundreds of years with the Roman Catholic papacy. But rather than pick on the Roman Catholic Church here, we have to recognize that the generic American church has already fallen into hero worship time and time 
again. Pastors today have more power than they've ever had. What that means is that pastors today do more damage when they fall than they ever have. The problem with the trap of authority in the church is that you end up basing your unity and your community around a personality. And the problem with that is that every single personality in the church is sinful. Think of the damage that has been done in the church by recent high-profile scandals involving some type of pastoral ministry. We don't have to go too back, back too far in time to think about what's going on with Ravi Zacharias's ministry right now. And five to seven years ago, maybe a name some of you aren't familiar with, there was a guy by the name of Bill Gothard who had notable troubles in his ministry. And even if you're not addressing scandals in the church, pastors of mega churches end up being popes unto themselves and often use their platform to spread bad doctrine for the sake of their own public profile. A great example of this happened five years ago when a certain pastor, who I won't name, advocated that Christians get rid of the Old Testament altogether because it was mean and nasty and awful. Or we think about the way that Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick market themselves in their sermons so that more people will listen to them. If you end up following a personality rather than the Word of God, you're always going to get burned. Because pastors aren't perfect. We're sinners. We should never be given absolute authority. In fact, pastors should be the humblest of all people in the congregation because we're the ones that do the most damage when we screw things up. Our job is to simply deliver to you the Word of God and get out of the way. There's nothing wrong with authority in the church. We want things to be done decently and in order. It wouldn't help anyone if seven of you tried to get up at the same time to deliver a sermon. But if a pastor or if a leader takes up an apostolic role that is anything beyond that of being God's messenger, they will immediately develop papal tendencies. Not only has that pastor set himself up for failure, he's also set his church up for pain and sorrow. Three traps the church falls into. With each of these traps identified, what's the truth about the purpose and mission of the church? Where should our energy be focused? With great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The church must always be focused on preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ as presented by the Word of God for, delivering, for the purpose of delivering the gifts of God. Each and every Sunday, you must hear that Jesus died and rose again. Doesn't that get rote? Doesn't it become common? The answer is simply no, it can't. 
Because each and every time you enter the church, you come here as a sinner in need of forgiveness. And the only message that will forgive your sins is Jesus Christ on the cross in your place and Jesus Christ risen from the dead conquering your sin, your death, and the devil. There is a place for the church to give good advice. There is a place for us all to focus on wisdom and even at times emphasize organizational improvement. In fact, it's the very reason why every year we elect leaders to our church council. But we here right now are all sinners and we're going to fail to obey God's word and carry it out no matter what, no matter when and no matter how. But if the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are not central, the church will fall. But if the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are central, the church's unity, the church's community, and the church's authority will flow from this truth and this reality. Only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us purpose. Only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us direction. For the church to be healthy, we must call each other by the word of God to repentance for our sins. And for the church of God to be healthy, the forgiveness of those sins needs to be proclaimed and applied in word and sacrament. The message, the purpose... The focus and the mission of the church needs to be Jesus Christ crucified for your forgiveness. The testimony of the church that we bear witness to regularly must simply be Jesus Christ is risen. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.